That was great. Thank you, Isabel. That was special, wasn't it? Well, good morning. Good to see you. If you turn with me in your Bible to Psalm chapter 12, I'd appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you and follow along. I'd, I'd love you to be able to do that. And we always say if you don't have a Bible at all and you'd like to take one of those pew rack Bibles home, you can, you can take one as a gift. We want you to have God's Word. So, Well, good morning. What a great summer day. We, uh, we have finished our series on, on elders called Why Elders. We just got done with that last week. Um, and for those of you who may not know or weren't at the business meeting, just so you know, uh, our elders were unanimously confirmed by the church body. So we have elders. Yeah, right? Um, really awesome thing. Excited for that. You know, for some of us, we're going to not see much change at all. Like, is there anything going on? And uh, you have a, a rapport and relationship, and you already see how that functions. Um, and for some of us, we're like, oh, that's, that's cool. I'm glad that's, that's happening and being taken care of. So uh, pretty neat to see um, that come to life and, uh, and, and start a process there of, of how that will impact our church for the better. So um, thank you for your prayers during that time and just uh, the, the input you had and even the participation during our Q&A times was, was uh, wonderful. But we are now done with that series, and we're able to go back to the summer in the Psalms, right? We're still in the summer, and we're going go to go back to the Psalms. If you remember this, uh, you're like, back, when did we do this? Last summer we started, okay? Last summer we started in Psalms. We got through uh, Psalm 11, and uh, so we're picking up with Psalm 12 this summer, and, and I, I know it'll probably take us years and years and years to get through the Psalms, but that's okay. It's, it's not a big deal. So we're in Psalm 12 today, and uh, we're going to pray, and we're going to get into the Word, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to come here and to gather together as your sons and daughters, God, as, as uh, the church of the living God. God, is our desire that we would um, glorify you with, with all that we do and say, and God, that you would convict us from your word, that you would challenge us and change us uh, by the power of your spirit to be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. So God, open our hearts and minds to be receptive today to what you have to teach us. God, we, we long to be more like you. God, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection, God, that through the resurrection we can have life because he lives. And God, that there is no other hope and no other, other name except for Jesus to place our hope and trust in. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm chapter 12, and we're going to read uh, the entire thing together, and we'll kind of break it apart, okay? You ready? <clears throat> Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say, through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? Because of the devastation of the needy and the groaning of the poor, I will rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen fire, purified seven times. The Lord will guard us. You, you, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. All right, so today we're going to break that psalm apart, and there's, there's kind of three sections to it. There's several points we'll talk about, but the three sections, there's kind of a prayer and there's a promise, and then there's a prayer again at the end of it. And, 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 and today, as we look at this psalm, it's, it's an interesting one because uh, David finds himself basically all, all alone. Have you ever felt that? you ever felt all alone? Maybe all alone in your faith? 
right? Maybe where you work or where you go to school or, or the friends that you have or maybe your family even. You're like, I, I'm all alone. There's no one else that has this faith in the Lord. There's no one else that is, is responding to God the way I'm responding to God. And I, I feel outnumbered and I feel the pressure to, to conform. I feel the pressure to go a, a different way and I feel all alone. So maybe you feel all alone in your faith. Maybe you feel all alone at times in your struggles. Right? That's a big one for people. We don't like to struggle by ourselves and it makes it so much lighter to struggle with each other. That's why we're called to bear one another's burdens. But David feels these struggles and these pressures uh, in his faith. In, in his faith, he's all alone in this psalm. But listen, our faith is not to be put in others, right? We, we tend to put our faith in others, and, and guess what? Others what? Let us down. Others will fail us. I've told you before, I, I'm your pastor, I'm your friend, I want to help you grow, but do not put all your hope in me because, listen, I know there will be a time in my life, in our relationship, where I will fail you or I will let you down. But I know someone that never will, and his name is Jesus. And, that, and David understood this, and he, so he goes to the Lord, and he cries out to the Lord. He says, he's, he's his Savior, not, not people, and he's the Savior, the only one that can bring life. But that journey, that road that brings life is, is although filled with hope, it is a difficult one to travel. And I, I want us to look at, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to look at a passage in Matthew real quick, I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this to his disciples and those listening, Enter through the narrow gate, he says. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. One of the reasons we're all alone is that many have chosen to go down a different path. I've chosen to go the same way that everyone else goes, and, and it just makes it easier to go that direction. And they feel more comfortable, or maybe they feel more, more empowered because there are more people around them that can be inferior to them. Whatever it might be, they choose a wide path. And what we're, we've, we're taught in Scripture is that wide path leads to destruction there's no real hope there there's no real joy there there's no real peace that comes from that place he goes on he says how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few will find it few you you see this it kind of goes with david's saying help lord i'm all alone there's very few of us and when you're all alone that's the fewest there can be right that's the fewest that there can be is all by ourselves and it's difficult. The road is difficult, but it leads to life. So we need to understand that, that we're in good company when we feel all alone in our faith or all alone in our struggles. We're in good company. Like David, we're on that, that narrow road, and, and for you and I, and what we're going to be encouraged by, by David to do is to trust in the Lord during those times. Certainly he is going to provide for us, and, and many of the ways he provides for us is with each other, but our first hope, our, our first prayer needs to be a cry out to the Lord. So in the presence of enemies and enemies that abound all around and pressures that, that he's facing, even the faithful that he had around him that are fading away, we must cry out to the Lord for help. And there's five reasons we're going to look at today. First, number one, we cry out to the Lord for help because the faithful fail. It's really, really important that we get that right off the bat. We cry out to the Lord because the faithful fail. We have to know that, you know what, I can't put all my trust and hope in a person. It has to be in Jesus. He's the one that will never, will never fail. He's the, he's the one that's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So go back to Psalm chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. I'm telling you, he feels alone, doesn't he? He feels all alone. He's, he's in that desperate time where he says, I'm crying out to the Lord. Help, Lord. 
help me. And, and this is the same kind of help when you, you see it in other passages when, when Peter gets called out to walk on the water and he starts to sink. What does he do? Help, Lord, I'm, I'm drowning. It's that dire straits place where I need, I need big help. I need rescue. I need salvation right now. And that's what, that's what David's saying is, Lord, I am drowning. And I, I feel that pressure all around me. I feel so isolated. Help, Lord. He cries out to him. He says, help for two things. No faithful one remains. Now, see, there were those that, that David surrounded himself with and kind of got on the bandwagon with David because David was the God's anointed. But listen, and in, in, in hard times and difficult times as a country, it was really easy for Israel and even the leaders around David to, to trust. Okay, God's, God's got to have our back. We've got to trust in him. But when things kind of get easy and when there's no wars to go to at a certain time, it's like, well, I can just kind of get comfortable and go do my own thing. Right? We, we see that when people are tested and people think things are, things are hard in life. You see people kind of fall away or slip away or just kind of say, I'm, I'm not, I don't have your back anymore. Right? And if we put all of our hope there, it's going to be a difficult struggle for us. So the faithful, there might be people that are faithful around us that kind of don't remain anymore, that aren't, aren't as faithful as they used to be. Then he says that the loyal have disappeared from the human race. And the text here is talking about like moral loyalty. Like there, there were those who were following a moral compass and they were following true north and that was the way they wanted to go. And then all of a sudden they just said, you know what, I think true north is actually over here. And their morality, the, the, how, how they made decisions shifted and what they thought was right and wrong shifted, and they, they embraced a different type and a different philosophy of morality. He says, not only the faithful one doesn't remain, but the loyal ones have disappeared from the human race. This moral, this moral compass has been so skewed, I can't find those like-minded people to be encouraged by. So what does he do? He cries out to the Lord because he can't find the faithful. So you don't have to understand, God has given us a gift of the church for each other. You and I are gifts to each other, gifts of God's grace to one another. And we have to embrace that for all that it's worth. But while we embrace that, we look for encouragement and edification, for rebuke even from our brothers and sisters, that we might look more like Jesus every day. But we cannot be found in a place where we worship each other as our Redeemer. That we worship each other as our sole rescuer. Because guess what? We are not that. And for some of you, that maybe that relieves a burden from your shoulders because you can't be the Savior. Stop trying to be the Savior. For others, you have to shift your, your focus from someone you've made an idol and, and lift it up to a pedestal that's, that's your Savior and it's not Jesus. You've got to be able to say, I, I, I want Jesus to be my Savior, not so-and-so or my friend over there. Will they help? Can they help? Sure, certainly God will use them for that. But that is not where our salvation lies. It's in God alone. So he feels all alone and, and he makes this decision. He says, you know what? I'm not retreating. That's what, he would, that's what he would do. You know, people would say, all this pressure, I'm all alone. I'm going to go somewhere else where it's comfortable. I don't feel the pressures and stress of this. I'm going to find friends. I might even shift my own moral compass so I can just fit in and feel good again. We do that, right? We do that. We retreat. We don't say, help God. God, help. Please help. Please help. We say, you know what? This is uncomfortable. I'm going a different route. And we tend to start shifting what we think and our, our opinions and our morality changes. Right? Our faith begins to shift into people instead of and people that just tell us what we want to hear instead of into God. And this is what he was seeing. But this comfort will isolate us from God. The best time for us to go and run to God is when we're isolated from everyone else. Because he alone is faithful. I want you to feel, feel what he felt in this. Matthew chapter 5 says this. Uh, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And I want you to think about what David's probably feeling with this. There's no one around me, right? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty again? 
He's feeling like, hey, we were really salty at one point, and now I'm just salty and mad, right? We were really salty, and, and we, we were able to point people to the rescuer, the redeemer, and now there's no one around that's salty anymore. And, and the temptation there is to say, I'm just going to lose my saltiness as well, and I'm going to go with the flow and go to that wide path. But David says, I'm not retreating. I'm going to stand up because I want to be the salt of the earth. Because if I'm not, that verse in Matthew goes on, it says, it, it's no longer good. If you're not, if you're not salty, you're no longer good uh, for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When salt loses its saltiness, when salt changes its moral compass, when salt says, you know what, it's about comfort rather than standing up for what's right, it's not lo no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So what happens when we're the only salt around? What do we do? And, and this, it, it lines up again, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is, is telling his disciples and those around listening, he says, the harvest is what? The harvest is plentiful, right, or abundant. The harvest is plenty. We hear we, different translations. He told the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. I'm all alone. What do I do? All the work's on my shoulders, right? This is, I'm being faithful and faithful, but it's, I'm getting low on energy. So what does Jesus instruct? He says, the harvest is abundant and the workers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. When you feel all alone, you feel like you're the only salt around, what should we do? We pray. We cry out to the Lord. Lord, help. Send your workers. And, and here's, God's, God's not only thinking about those who need to be saved. He's thinking about you and I. When we're in that position of, of feeling all alone and we pray, sometimes what we need is a worker to come to work with us. Help work on us. To help encourage and strengthen us. And God, God is going to answer that prayer, I guarantee it. And you look around here in, in the body of Christ that meets here. Uh, there's a bunch of you here. There are a bunch of you here earlier, early service. God has given us each other to encourage and strengthen each other. We are God's gift to one another. God's means of grace to one another when we feel like we're the only one. God's given us that. But then, yes, certainly we want, we want more around us that are going to accomplish things for the kingdom of God. So what do we do? We pray. We cry out to God. Why do we cry out to God? Well, what number one say? Because the faithful fail. Because the faithful fail. But God never fails. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number two, we cry out to the Lord for help because vanity and deceit are prevalent. We cry out to the Lord for help because vanity and deceit are prevalent. We can't trust what we hear from other people all the time, right? Look at the, the scripture. It goes on in, in verses two and three. What do these people do? They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. He says, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. You know, when we desire, and, and we, we need to analyze our own hearts in this, but when we desire to be comfortable or, or to be at peace with people, we tend to start telling them what they want to hear. We tend to start being conformed and molded into the image they want us to be so that we can be at peace, right? Or, or what it feels like is peace. But what we're doing is we're compromising what God has created us to be in that moment. And, and when you talk about this, this vanity and deceit that are prevalent, it's not only true for you and I that it might happen, it's definitely true for the world. And if you look at the world, a world who says, no, it's not about humbling yourself, it's about getting the next mark or getting, uh, achieving the next goal in our life. I, need to, I, need to feel, I feel confident and comfortable and at peace when you are lower than me. Now, we never talk that way. 
We never, I mean, that, that, the world doesn't talk that way. Some do, but mostly the world doesn't talk that way. They just live that way. They, they'll say things that belittle you or tell you you're not quite good enough. Right? They'll, they'll make you feel bad or, or you'll try to lie and, and tell a lie so you make yourself feel better. And, and it's never about lifting somebody up. It's always about lifting yourself up, right? And we do that by pushing other people down. And that's, that's what's happening here. And, and, and that happens in the world. There's this deceit and flattery that goes out. And, and you and I are, are not, uh, not, we are prone to this, right? We, we want oftentimes to hear what is comfortable and pleasing to our ears. We talked about this during our, our sermon series on elders, that people will abandon sound teaching and they'll surround themselves with people, teachers, that will tell them what they want to hear. That's who we are because it's comfortable. It's pleasing. We, we, want, we want to be coddled and our ego stroked. That's, that's what we want. And Jesus says, you have no ego. I am, I am the ego. I am God. And you have to understand that you, you have to humble yourself to come to me. And when you humble yourself, then I lift you up. We do it backwards, though. We push people down so we get lifted up. And this is, this is what's occurring here as well through flattery and, and deceptive hearts. It's puffing up their ego, right? Making themselves feel good about themselves. And he says, may the Lord cut that off. The one who speaks flattery and, and one who boasts. Listen, the boast of the tongue doesn't accomplish its eternal promises. We think, man, I'm, I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm going to get the edge of this other person. I'm going to get the promotion, whatever it might be. And we say something, we do something that, that tries to attempt that. And maybe you succeed temporarily. And we see that the wicked prevail at times. But what we know eternally that that will never last. We will all have to one day give an account to stand before God who will have his say about that. Turn to James with me. James chapter 3. Keep your, your ribbon here in Psalms and go over to the book of James if you would. James chapter 3. I want us to see what it looks like. We're kind of going to get to the heart of the issue here. Okay, when we talk about the tongue and lies and deception and flattery and, and we're going to get to the heart of the issue because that's really what's important, right? Is for us to understand what's in the heart, what's going on there. So James chapter 3, starting in verse 5 and going through verse, verse 6, and, and James is talking about this, this thing called the tongue and, and how powerful it is. So he goes on in verse 5, he says, So, so too, uh, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. And, and, and here's what I'd say that. It, it makes big waves, right? It, it makes big waves. It, it, it makes big deals. <clears throat> Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Yet the, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members, and it stains the whole body and sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Talk about the motive and where this comes from. If we, if we can't get a heart change, what we're going to see is the out, outpouring of hell itself coming out of our mouth and creating destruction all around us. There has to be a heart change. And the scripture, scripture tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say tells a lot about what's in the heart. I, I tell you this before, the tongue is a tattletale of the heart. It tells on us, right? It tells us exactly what we think and feel and believe. We might be able to say something different to somebody else, but when it comes down to it, it will always reveal the heart. So we have to be careful. Like, what, what are we saying? How, what, what kind of language are we using? What kind of 
flattery are we using? Are we using deceptive speech, a manipulative speech, or vulgar speech? Go to Isaiah with me. We're done here in James. Go to Isaiah. Back to Psalms and then to the right just a little bit. And it's, it's Isaiah chapter 30. Again, getting to the heart of the matter. And this is, this is interesting how, how this is brought up. And, and it seems like, wow, this is, this is actually verbalized. And I think I have heard this verbalized from folks as well as I've talked to them. But I, I want us to see this picture because for you and I, it's a little more subtle. It's like we don't really come out and say, Jesus, I don't want you to be my master. We, please move aside. We just kind of behave that way <clears throat> and pretend that's not how we feel. So Isaiah chapter 30, we're in uh, verse 9, and we're looking for 9 through 11. He describes as they are rebellious people, deceptive children, children who do not want to listen to the Lord's instruction. You understand that? What the heart of the matter is, is they really just don't want to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, don't see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy the truth to us. Tell us flattering things. Prophesy illusions. I mean, you've got to be out of your mind. Now, listen. When you go to somebody that tells the truth and say, please don't tell me the truth, what do you really want? I mean, if you don't want the truth, you want the lie. And that, that's pretty honest, isn't it? Brutally honest. Go, it goes on. It says, uh, please tell us flattering things and prophesy illusions. Verse 11, get out of the way. They say, just move. Get out of the way. We, we don't want you in our way. Get out of the way. Uh, leave the pathway. Rid us of the Holy One of Israel. That's brutally honest, isn't it? Very few people say that. Now, there are people that do say that. They have that position exactly. But you and I can be prone to that as well. Just, Holy One of Israel, please, would you get out of the way? Would you step aside so I can do my own thing? Man, that's, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to go. But that reveals the heart of this flattery and deception. Uh, last passage I'm going to read is out of Romans chapter 16, uh, verses 17 and 18. It, it's, again, comes down to a matter of who are you going to serve. You look at the, the Holy One of Israel and say, move aside. You're not really wanting to serve the Holy One of Israel. Romans says this in verses 17 and 18 uh, of chapter 16. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles. Okay, watch out for those people who talk like that, contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Avoid them. It says avoid them. Because such people do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own appetites. Pretty revealing, isn't it? We can serve ourselves, or we can serve Jesus. Right? Jesus is ready to serve us, and he did. He served, served us by going to the cross and letting himself be killed on a cross for us. Then he raised from dead, saying, I have victory over life. I have victory over sin. I can forgive. But we choose to say, ah, no, I'm not going to serve Jesus. I'm going to serve my own appetite. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. So maybe you're on, on the side of the fence saying, I, I want Jesus out of my way. Most of us probably aren't there. But a lot of us can be in the way that, uh, of being the deceived. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. When are you so vulnerable, right? Those times you're so vulnerable that, that, that deception comes to you and says, oh, here's some smooth talk, flattering words. Come with me. Let, let me stroke your ego a little bit and, and you'll be okay. David's like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not going there. I am going to cry out to the Lord because vanity and deceit are prevalent. And I'm not going to trust that. Number three, he cries out to the Lord because people are self-confident. People are self-confident. This ties in with what we just said. 
They, they, they want to put themselves as master instead of Jesus as master. And, and that's not any way to win. People are self-confident. Back in our Psalm chapter uh, 12 in verse 4, they say, through our tongues we have power. And that is so dangerous. Do you hear that pride? Through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? That's, that's dangerous. That's so dangerous. That confidence they have in themselves. One day, listen, one day, Scripture says that every single person will kneel before the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single person. Who can be our master? Jesus can. And Jesus is. Whether or not we make him that, whether, whether or not we trust him in faith and yield ourselves to him, it takes that yielding, doesn't it, though? We have to yield our own selves to him. Proverbs 28, 26 says, The one who trusts in himself is a fool, but the one who walks in wisdom will be safe. See, it's foolish to think that your way is correct and that you can adequately be your own master. Listen, you understand it's foolish to think that your way is correct. Because if you can think your way is correct, that means that I can think my way is correct and they can think their way is correct. And every one of us can think our way is correct. Until what? We have absolute chaos and someone's wrong. Probably all of us. Probably all of us. And, and it's foolish to think that you can adequately be your master. I, I, I have a good perspective because I have kids, right, on this. Uh, bedtime is bedtime. And, and, and I know my kids need a bedtime because I need free time. No, uh, no, because they're a mess if they don't get sleep, right? And, and yeah, I mean, I want to have time with my wife, but what's important is to their health. So they, there's a bedtime. So my daughter comes in, and, and we're, we're chatting, and like, okay, Bailey, why don't you go brush your teeth and start getting ready for bed and get your, your bed made and, and make sure we, we're ready to go. And, but I didn't want to do that. And just, I mean, just melt down, right? Two things going on. First of all, I, I didn't say you wanted to stop doing what you're doing. I didn't say you don't like your outside activities. I, I didn't say that. Thank you for telling me you, don't, you, you, you like that. I get it. But Daddy said is you're going to go to bed now. Right? And, and why? She asks the question, why? While she's just, like, it is just, this is why we're going to go to bed now. Because this needs to be helped, and I need to let you get energy and get rest. And that's what, I mean, and of course, we get to bed, and she lays down, gone, just out, like a light, right? And it's, it's just a small battle. But my kids, if they were, if it was left up to themselves to survive, the house would probably burn down. Right? I mean, but think about us. There's a lot of things at stake in our own lives. And if you were left to be the master of your own life, if you really had it your way, what would your life look like? If you had it your way, you can do whatever you wanted, had it any way you wanted all the time, what would that look like? It would look like a mess. You would be, you'd be like David, help me, God. God, help me. Because we just can't do it. We cry out to God because people are self-confident and show themselves as not being able to adequately master their own lives. Number four, we cry out to the Lord for help because He has promised and His Word is pure. We cry out to the Lord because He has promised to be there. He has promised to rescue us. Go back to our text, verses 5 through 6 together. It says, Because of the devastation of the needy and the groanings of the poor, I will now raise up, or rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who who longs for it. Now let's stop there and talk about that one, then we'll go to six. 
really, really important here because I think a lot of us can have this thought in our mind of saying, yeah, I really want to cry out to the Lord. I really want the Lord. I, 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 want, I believe in God. But what, God, what, what the psalm is saying, what Scripture says, is that God comes to the rescue of those who have longed for Him. As the deer, what? Pants, that same word, pants, longs for water, for streams of water. So my soul longs for you, God. See, there's, there's a depth to that longing. There's, a, there's an emptiness that's formed. And we talk about that through the Beatitudes, this, this idea of being poor in spirit. You and I can't come to Him in pride, with ego, with, God, I've, I've pretty much made it. Can you help me the rest of the way? He's like, no, you are, you are done. You're toast. And we have to understand that, that He will rescue us when we are poor in spirit and longing, panting. Can't, we, can't, we are so parched without Him. That's when He comes to our rescue. Because of the devastation of the needy and the needy, right? And the groaning of the poor, I will rise up. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. Not who just wishes for it, thinks it might be a good thing, uh, wants to believe there's a God, but the one who comes utterly wrecked and parched before God with his, his sin and all hanging out and saying, listen, I, I need you. I, I, need, I need to be hydrated. I need to be rescued. I need to be saved. I need to be fulfilled. I need a hope that's going to endure. I need a peace that will never disappoint. I need a joy despite my circumstances. And Jesus says, that's me. You got the right, you got the right one here. And, and that's where we need to run. To run. And, and the promise is there that he's going to do that. He's going to show that to us. And then it goes in and says, and, and let me think about this, though. So we'll go back to my kids. There are times I'll get home maybe for lunch or get home after, after work or after a late, late meeting, and I just kind of want to debrief my mind and just sit in my recliner or just sit on the couch for a second and just, right, think. You ever get that feeling? I'm not alone, right? You, you guys want, you ready? Like, Go, you're thinking about man about 1 30 today i'm gonna do that right and and there are those times where my kids are playing outside they're great they're playing with the dog having a fun time it's, it's all good there's a little bickering that goes on because they're kids so you, so as a dad i can sit down and i can even kind of overlook as i overhear the little bickering the minor things they're kind of figuring out as they go we do that right but nothing will move me faster out of that chair than to hear the earnest cries of my children when i know that they are longing for rescue when something has happened that they absolutely need it's not overlooked it is immediate we are up and running my wife or i one of us is at the door first and we're out there to take care of, or in there whatever it is to take care of our children if something has happened and they are you, you know that cry you know it's different than mom they hurt me it's it's that blood curdling down at the core of who they are oh man what just happened cry and nothing moves father or mother, but nothing moves our Heavenly Father more than the cries of His children, that earnest, deep, panting, parched, longing cry. Amen? God hears that. God runs to that. God's like, I'm here for you. I'm going to rescue you in that. But, but listen, if you, if you don't cry out to Him like that, He's waiting for you to. He's waiting for you to give or, get over yourself. He's waiting for you to, to push aside your ego, push aside your own master of the universe mentality that you can do it all he, he's waiting for you to run to him as the as the child and with a childlike faith that he desires in us he goes on it says the words of the lord are pure so he talks about the promise of god running to those who are uh, and rescuing those who are longing for him 
And he says, And the words of the Lord are pure, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. And, and uh, there's a stark contrast here. We just, we just got done reading about the, the other types of words, right? Uh, it, they lie, and they speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. So lies, de- de- deceptive hearts, flattering lips, that's all being said, right? And then we say, but God's words are not that. God's words are totally pure words, like silver that's been refined. They are words that can be and should be trusted and embraced. And, and David knows that. It's like your words, they're the ones that are pure. And, it, and that contrast is huge. And, and what, what David's doing, he's holding on to this promise. And it's found in 2 Samuel, one of, one of the places it's found. I want to read this to you. 2 Samuel 23, 5 through 6. It says, it is not, uh, it is not true, I'm sorry, is it not true that my house is with God? There's safety, this refuge. Is it not true that my house is with God? For he has established a permanent covenant with me. Isn't that amazing? God, my house, when it's with God, he has established a permanent covenant with me, this promise that is enduring. And it says it's ordered and secure in every detail. I only wish I could be a parent that just administrates a family trip like that. Like, you're taking care of the household perfect. Everything's great. We're, we're an orderly schedule. No way, right? There's no way. But God's like, I have got you covered. I have got I have my promises on you. You have, you have trusted me in faith, and I have given you a permanent covenant with me. It is ordered and secure in every detail. Will he not bring about my whole salvation and my every desire? See, God cares as a father to his children about his children. And it goes on, it says, but all the wicked are like thorns raked aside. They can never be picked up by hand. But God, his children, he's, he's grabbing his children and saying, I got you. I'm taking care of you. And David, David is trusting in that promise, in that covenant that God has made. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. See, when we're all alone, when we're all isolated, when we feel that the faithful have, have failed us, or the, our friends have gone morally astray, we feel like our saltiness is waning, he is a shield to those who will take refuge in him. His word is pure, and it can be trusted. And finally, we cry out to the Lord for help. Number five, because without it, the wicked would prevail. Without it, the wicked would prevail. Interesting, as we, as we go through this, we're going to see this, this kind of a, a tough resolution. We think, man, there was a really tough time, and he prayed, and he claimed God's promises. So now we're going to see what? We're going to see victory. We're going to see resolution here. It's not so much going to happen that way. Let's read it. uh, Chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. You, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The final verse, verse 8, says this. The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. It didn't change. The same thing is still going on. What's changed? Well, when we, when we see and know the promise of God, the covenant promise of God, when he rescues his children and he picks them up in his arms and he holds them there, guess what you and I have? Peace, no matter the storm. Peace, no matter the flattery. Peace, no matter the deception. We have peace because God has secured us safe and sound in his arms. You think about those storms. I've, I've had those lightning storms at my house. When my, when my kids were real young, they, they freaked them out, right? They're scared. Oh, my goodness. Where do they find security? Where do they find peace? Sitting on my lap in my arms, resting there, safe and secure. They knew they were safe. They could hold on. Just walking downtown, and you're, it's kind of a strange situation. You know, most kids are like, 
uh, grab the hand, right? They want to be secure. They want to know that they know they're secure because their parents are there. That's what David's saying. David's saying, listen, you can have a peace through the storm. You can have a peace in the middle of this. But he's saying more than that because you and I think of it this way. We think, man, there's really bad people doing really bad things. Just please get rid of them, God. Just squash them like a bug already. But God's got something else in mind here. God has something else in mind. That, That when the peace of God, which transcends understanding, rests on my heart and on your heart, People are going to be like, what is going on? How can this be true? They're going to see the saltiness. They're going to see the light. And they're going to say, maybe this God being master is really a good thing to go towards. See, God's trying to reach people who who should be stepped on as bugs, right? God's trying to reach those people because guess what? You and I were those people. And he's changed us and he saved us by the blood of Christ and his resurrection. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 11 through 15, or 11 through 12. It says this. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. Man, that's horrible, right? That's, that's, again, these people, it's describing what they are. And it goes on, it says, there is a generation that is, uh, that is pure in its own eyes only, right? Yet it is not washed from its filth. What's that last line mean? It says, yet it's not washed from its filth. What does that tell us? It it doesn't say, and there's no hope for them. It says they're like dirty clothes that still need to be run through the wash. See, there's there's a, a glimmer of hope there, isn't there? There's hope for every sinful heart to turn and trust Christ in faith as Savior, to wash them clean. So although this this psalm contained an assurance of relief and a promise, it ends with the condition still outwardly unchanged. The real peace comes from our assurance in the Lord and not just a change in circumstances. Amen? Assurance comes from our, our peace with God, not a change in circumstances. And with peace comes hope. Uh, go ahead and turn. The last, last passage I want to look at is Isaiah chapter 1. <clears throat> For our hearts, you know, that they're, it's tough sometimes. It's tough to think, man, those who were, who were faith-filled and now they're faithless. They're no longer the faithful or, or they're the immoral. They're the deceptive ones. They're the ones that are trying to flatter with their own talk and their own ego. They're puffing themselves up and they're, and they're belittling other people. We just want them gone. And it's really hard for us to say, you know what? I used to be like that and Jesus saved me. So in Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 18. Uh, God says, come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Let's settle this matter. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. You you see, that's what what God's saying. Let let me settle this for you, he says. All of those deceivers, all of those flatterers, yeah, they they will get a final judgment. But before that happens... They have the opportunity to be at peace with me just like you do. So we, we need to trust and understand that, that we cry out to the Lord for help because without God's help, without God's peace in our lives, the wicked will continue to prevail. But we cry out to the Lord and because of his peace, he shows up. And hope, our hope and our prayer should be, God, change their heart.
change their hearts so they can have the peace that we do as well. So in the face of evil times, our hopefulness is in the Lord. And we should cry out to Him, not trusting in people. People disappoint, right? We cry out to God so He can give us a peace that transcends understanding and that will ultimately change others' lives as well. All right? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we, we're humbled by your word, and God, as we look to your word, we realize that we are so imperfect, and we were those, or maybe still are at times, those who are deceitful or flatterers, people who want to have their egos stroked and be proud about who they are. But God, I pray you would help humble us, that we would be in a constant state of longing, desiring, knowing that we would be without, without you, we would be totally parched, and with you, we are totally made whole and full by the blood of Christ. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for settling the matter in our hearts. For, for those of us who have trusted you in faith, God, you have forgiven us. As far as the east is from the west, you have removed our sins from us. Though our sins were as scarlet, they are now white as snow, and we thank you for that. God, help us to understand that, that our circumstances should not dictate our peace, but our hope in you and the assurance we have in your promise does. And as we are assured in you and confident in the promise of Jesus, that, God, that would be shown to a world in darkness a world in need of the same Savior that we have. Help us point them to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's our time to respond. and uh, we, we sing a song at the end of our service to worship.